Street, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. Joined, as always, by my guy John. You can find him at MMA Fox on Twitter. And we are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 37. We had one week off. Me and John were just talking about it. We feel as though it's been forever since we've seen some fights. So we have to shake off some rust this week. Finally happy to get some fights. We did lose one just less than an hour ago. So we only have 14 fights, but still 14 fights it is. John, uh, first of all, obviously you're stoked about the fights coming back this weekend. Which fight are you most excited about this weekend though? Let's 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 get, let's give that, you know. Name wise, <laughs> name value wise, there isn't much to look forward to here. But you know, something that a lot of the past fight nets have shown us is we don't need name value to have entertaining fights. So which fight do you think is gonna be the one that kind of jumps off the page here? Oh, man, <laughs> I was not ready for that question. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it's funny because I kind of touched on it, you know, yesterday a bit, you know. Name, like you said, name value-wise, it's not great. But I actually think a lot of these fights are going to end up being pretty exciting, even if they aren't the highest level. In terms of what like I'm most looking forward to, I guess it would probably be Mike Rodriguez and Tafan, especially because yeah. I have an angle on that fight that I think is pretty strong. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, you know, in general, I think it's going to be a stand-up fight where the guys, you know, throw some heavy leather in there. Uh, in terms, but you know, there's a lot of good fights on paper here. You know, Smith's fan's going to be a mess, but should be fun, right? So <laughs> a lot of fights like that. It was weird. I saw a statistic today. It said that 80% of uh, Anthony Smith's light heavyweight fights have been a main event, which is absolutely crazy concerning no. his uh, run at middleweight, right? And now he's <laughs> kind of had a bit of a resurgence. It's weird. Like these light heavyweight guys have these resurgences. Anthony Smith, Jan Blachowicz, obviously champion now. You know, even Andre Arlovsky, I know he's not a light heavyweight, but heavyweight. Like I remember 10, 11, 12 years ago, everybody's like, oh, he's chin shot. You know, just let's, let's just call it a career. And then he's like a fight or two away from a fucking title shot six years later. So uh well we'll see if smith can uh you know get back on the winning track here obviously we'll break it down for you guys uh later on uh before we actually kick things off always as a reminder make sure you guys hit that like hit that subscribe and then we have the club and sub uh youtube channel linked in the description below so make sure you guys go out there and show my guy john some love as well with his uh circus of guys that he has over there on uh, wednesday nights 10 p.m eastern they're breaking down the card in full that's always a show that I like tuning into as well, too. All right, let's not waste too much more time. Let's fucking get into this fucking card. Um, first off, we got Emily Whitmire going up against Hannah Goldie. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus uh, 125 now on Emily Whitmire. It seems like she's been taking some action over the last uh, 24 hours or so. Uh, plus 105 is the return here on Hannah Goldie. Weird fight, right? You got Hannah Goldie stepping in on pretty short notice. Uh, obviously, she she had a lengthy layoff before her last fight where she got pieced up by De- Deanna Belbita for the majority of 15 minutes. Uh, and it seemed like the only amount of success she really had in that fight was like the last 20 seconds where she finally decided to grapple, take Deanna Belbita down, immediately gets to full mount, and then starts writing down shots but uh you know too little too late at that spot emily whitmire uh she is a bit of a spitfire like just like her (laughs) nickname right she goes out there and she she throws caution to the wind sometimes she goes out there and submits alexandra albu within a minute or she goes out there and gets submitted in a minute and a half by poliana vienna um there are decent performances on her record like the jamie moyle one way back from ufc 226 when she was able to go out there and just kind of piece up hannah goldie from distance uh or sorry uh jamie moyle from distance and it's just interesting because Moyle and 
Goldie almost have a similar stature outside of the actual ripness, right? They're kind of shorter, stockier opponents. Jimmy Moe, more of a wrestler than anything. So I don't, you know, uh, I think that we'll see Hannah Goldie have a little bit more success than what uh, Jamie Moyle did. Uh, but the one thing that I found interesting is I'm seeing Hannah Goldie training a lot with the Marina Shafir, obviously a former standout, uh, Juro standout from the Olympics, was meant to be seen as the next Ronda Rousey, if you guys remember back then. Uh, and even uh, Jillian Robertson, you know, that makes you believe that she's going out there and trying to test her grappling. Maybe try to use that in this fight against uh, Emily Whitmire. But even if it does go out as a regular Hannah Goldie fight, I'm expecting that, you know, distance striking, stay at range, light striking here and there. Emily Whitmire just has not been active enough for me recently. Obviously, Hannah Goldie as well, but I'm just not a big fan of what Whitmire brings to the table. I feel her best path is getting to the ground and finding submission here. Otherwise, she's probably just going to get lit up, uh, not lit up, but touched up from the outside over 15 minutes here by Goldie. So I'm actually on the Goldie side. No real conviction in terms of props. Goldie by decision at plus 205. I think that's probably the spot you got to take here if you're going to take anything at all. I'd be surprised if Goldie finishes Whitmire. You know, she's not much of a finisher, even though she looks like a finisher, but she's definitely not. Uh, and then Whitmire, if you're looking to back that, I think taking her by sub is probably the best way to go about it. Do we deviate at all here in terms of our opinions on this matchup? Oh, we deviate quite a bit here, actually. Um, okay. I actually took a bet on Goldie here at about minus 120. Uh, or not Goldie, sorry. Whitmire. <laughs> yeah, my, you, you got torched on that line movement, then, brother. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I guess. Look, I'm not going to try to make the case for why Whitmire is good. What I do think is she's being a bit underrated here. You know, I see a lot of takes about how bad Whitmire is, and like, I'm not trying to make the case that she's a great fighter, but I do think kind of contextualizing what she's done in the UFC is important. You know, she look at who she's lost to. She got armbarred by Viana, who has an excellent guard. She lost to Amanda Hebas. I don't think anybody's really getting upset about that. And she lost to Jillian Robertson. You know, other than that, you know, she fought, fought Jamie Moyle, who I personally would put higher as a striker than Hannah Goldie in a fight that was a primarily a striking fight, right? Uh, and then she obviously submitted Alexandra Albu. Look, I'm not saying I think Whitmire dumpsters Goldie on the feet, but I think it's going to be fairly competitive on the feet. You know, I think it's maybe 50-50-ish. I even slightly lean Whitmire just because, like I said, I just kind of trust the level of competition she's fought more. Like, look, Belbita's aggressive, but Goldie getting her brains battered in like that by Belbita was pretty worrying to me. Also, that fight was like, what, two months ago? Uh, you know, it was very, very recent. Not even. Yeah. yeah, and she took some serious damage in that fight, you know? So it's like she's coming back here on that turnaround. Not that I think Whitmire would knock her out. But, like, let, even if I call the striking even, I do think there's a somewhat pronounced grappling advantage for Whitmire in this fight. And so with that being the case, you know, I think Whitmire has some submission upside here. Uh, and I, I just think all the grappling upside is on her side personally. And so I, I kept Whitmire around, like, 60%. So, like, I better here. In terms of a prop, I like I don't I'm not in love with anything, kind of like you. I, I thought you know, maybe doesn't go the distance. Like if you could get plus two thirty is kind of interesting because you know Whitmire's been a bit fragile in the past, you know, and certainly, you know, the submission path is there. So I think that's kind of tempting, but just in general, I like Whitmire. Nothing really I would advocate to bet on, to be honest. 
Yeah, it feels like one of those fights where if you feel like you have a little bit of an edge, you might as well take advantage of it. I don't see it. I, I know that you see it over there with, with the Whitmire side of things, and Goldie is obviously not the greatest fighter either. So if you can find that edge, which I believe you did, <laughs> I think you're in good hands here. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. This one I'm interested to hear your thoughts on. We got Gustavo Lopez going up against Haile Alatang in terms of odds. We got minus 130-ish now for Haile Alatang and plus 110 on Gustavo Lopez. Alatang famously going down to fight ready now obviously trying to change up his game has a decent wrestling background just like gustavo lopez who's in my opinion his 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 wrestling is a little bit underrated uh, i believe he did uh, wrestle over there in washington if i'm not mistaken has a decent wrestling background does it show it in his fights in terms of good up fight iq in terms of mixing in uh the grappling and the wrestling behind takedown or sorry behind striking combinations uh but my my qualm with him is his striking right it's a little bit too wild a little bit too loopy you know he's kind of content with just throwing big shots out there, not really trying to set anything up. And I feel like a guy like Hali Alateng, who's shown better striking, in my opinion, will be able to kind of cut him off with those straighter, crisper strikes down the middle. I think the wrestling is going to nullify each other. I think we're going to see a, a striking battle for the most part. And if that's the case, I got to lean the Hali Alateng side here. I got to believe he's been making improvements over there at Fight Ready. But even before going to Fight Ready, I was impressed with the striking, especially with the wrestling background that he has, so that he can, you know, maybe sprawl and brawl or whatever he needs to do in those situations, as I feel like he's going to have to do here. I will be very impressed and surprised if anybody has significant grappling success in this fight. I think it should be a uh, a, a, a striking battle for the most part here. So I'm going to go Ali Alatang. I think Lopez is quite durable. You know, I know we got we saw Yanez get him out of there uh, the last time around. However, I don't think that uh, Alatang has that crazy Yanez technique technique and, and power. I think he has good striking. I just don't know if he has that finishing capability here against a guy that I believe is quite durable in, uh, in Lopez. So in terms of odds, I'm going with the overs here. Uh, over two and a half minus 200, a little bit juice, but I do think we see that hit. And then uh, Alatang via decision plus 165. That's kind of my favorite prop on this one. How do you see this one going down, brother? Yeah, it's a it's a weird fight that I've been kind of waffling on whether to bet Alatang on all week. Like I do like Alatang here. I, I guess my problem with Alatang is really that you know he's not a good round winner. Like he can't, he will wrestle people, but kind of to your point, while I think he could. Have more have some wrestling success here. Like I think I'm a bit more bullish on it than you are. I don't think like that success is maybe two or three takedowns on the high side where he probably doesn't get much control. So again, it's not totally meaningful uh, wrestling. And you know, on the feet, look, I favor Alatang, but his work rate is so so low. And look, Lopez's is too. But you know, if you get a fight like that where you have two strikers, neither of whom is a great striker. I edge Alatang and I edge him on power here as well. But like the margins are fairly thin there. You know, even though I favor Alatang wherever the fight goes personally here, I, I don't think he banks, you know, rounds very easily. But with all that said, I do think he is the side here. Like I think he is the better fighter. Kind of to your point, Elok, like I don't hate Lopez. You know, he's a decently well-rounded fighter. The problem is, I say well-rounded as in he's not very good at anything, but he's not really bad at anything either, you know. Uh, his striking is a bit sloppy, and he is very hittable. But, you know, Alatang, again, not really the guy that usually takes advantage of that stuff because he is so low-paced. But at the same time, you know, he's fought superior competition. He's beaten superior competition. I, I do think he's a bit more technical, and I think if anybody's got grappling upside, it's him. So I lean him. But I do sort of agree with you in terms of the fight ending. Like Alatang himself, we know is 
stupid durable just because you know we saw the casey kenny fight he took an absolute beating in that fight and just never even was close to going away and then you know on the other side yeah i mean lopez basically got hurt badly at the start of round two by inez and then just got clipped clean coming in you know could that happen here i guess but i don't think alateng is the counter well i know he's not the counter striker that adrian inez is i shouldn't say i don't think and so yeah i mean someone could finish but more than anything, you know, I also like the Alatang decision. I actually like, you know, it's a little juicy. I think it's about, yeah, minus 170 I'm seeing in spots, minus 185. I also like fight goes to decision, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, again, I'd be surprised if either guy gets uh, some crazy uh, success or has significant success with the grappling, which would lead to a finish or even able to muster up a knockout punch in here. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely with the overs and uh, the decision prop on either side, but more so on the Alatang side than anything. All right, let's move on. <clears throat> To the next fight here we got impa kasanganai going up against carlson harris and i believe i could be off but i feel as though this was the fight that saw the most line movement throughout fight week uh we saw impa kasanganai open up as a minus 185 uh favorite all bet all the way down now to minus 115. carlson harris 34 years old seems to have a decent grappling uh background or at least uh, a knack for going out there and trying to grapple fuck his opponents whether it's a five-round decision against carl booth pushing him up against the cage or being able to find the submission relatively quickly in some of the other fights that we've seen obviously he had that club and sub in his ufc debut against christian aguilera or christian aguilera uh so that was a, obviously a very uh successful debut for him but i find that he might have his work cut out for him here in the spot against epic kasanganai now i don't think that kasanganai should have been a minus 185 to begin with right i think that line was a little bit too wide we got to give harris a little bit more credence than that the guy has some good power in his hands he can definitely go out there and club and sub his opponents i'm talking about harris here and it's definitely a little bit of a threat to epic kasanganai who we still got to worry about a little bit of his durability, right? Let's 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 be honest. I feel as though Harris being the same size as this guy could potentially clip him with something and put him down and you know follow up with some grapple uh, success yeah. after that or grappling success after that. However, I still come to the conclusion that I feel like Impa is the better fighter, right? More technically uh, sound in terms of his striking, has decent uh, understanding of range. Obviously, getting a lot more comfortable down the right side for MMA is obviously obviously a very good thing for him. Uh, and then uh, his grappling, you know, he showed it off in the Sasha Palatnikov last time. Uh, fight last time around obviously we've seen uh, several fights in the past so i feel like his grappling is going to be serviceable enough for him to stay out of any big trouble here from carlston harris you know maybe not get wrapped up in a, on a kind of choke yeah. maybe a club and sub situation for harris is obviously live but i do uh, still end up siding with the impa kasanganai side here um i don't see him getting a finish though right he's not much of a finisher outside of that palatnikov fight and i doubt he's going to have as much grappling success against harris than he did against uh palatnikov so i'm going to go with the decision here once again uh uh, Kasanganai by decision plus 175. I, I I know I've started off with nothing but decisions at the beginning of this card, but I promise you, I feel like there's a ton of violence still to be had on the rest of the card. I just feel like the card might start off slow here with a couple of decisions. Do you agree with me on that side, or how do you feel like this one's going to go down? <clears throat> I think it's a weird fight, to be completely honest with you. I almost bet Impa, and ultimately I passed it, primarily because I think this fight comes down to really – one question and that's really what is impa's defensive grappling like you know i thought it looked okay against i think it was kaylin williams at contenders but you know kaylin williams is kind of meaningless and a couple fights prior to that regionally he looked pretty bad on bottom and so now look he's very very young and i expect he's going to be improving fight to fight and i would expect he has improved from that this time to now like three years ago but we don't know right and you know we do know when harris gets on top you know he is dangerous he's a threat to finish he's a threat to hold you down and he's going to try to grapple you a lot 
And so without having that answer to that question, it's hard for me to play Kasangan I hear. On the other side, though, you know, I don't have really any interest in betting Harris. I, I personally think Harris's wrestling is dramatically overrated. You know, I give him credit. He's a very good top game, and I'm cre- I give him credit for being a willing wrestler and being very processed. But, you know, if you actually watch the guy, he almost never takes down anybody with anything but a body lock. You know, when he tries to shoot at legs, he doesn't really set takedowns up very well at all. He doesn't chain anything together. And for me, you know, the issue is he's excellent from the body lock. The problem is when you get hit a certain level, guys who know how to pummel for underhooks aren't going to be getting taken down very much by body lock takedowns or even you allowing to get the body lock too much. And so his upside in the UFC for me is very capped because of that. And I think on the feet, you know, look, Harris has some power, but I think Impa just pretty much owns him there, to be completely honest. And so when I look at it, it's like I think both guys have potentially hindsight dominant, you know, being hindsight huge favorites here. Uh, I kind of lean more towards Impa just because I kind of think his margin for error might be a little wider than Harris's here. You know, Harris, obviously, even if it is true, Impa's bad on bottom, I don't trust Harris to get the fight down, you know, because of that issue with how he approaches takedowns. And so I lean Impa. In terms of what I like prop-wise, I do think when looking at it, it's like if Harris wins, it's likely predicated on him being able to dominate Impa on the ground. And if that's the case, he's probably finishing. And on the other side, like I don't think Impa's a great finisher, but I do think he's going to touch Harris up a lot if he stays standing. And so like I kind of like the under here. It's plus 125. I don't think that's a bad number. That would probably be my stab, under two and a half. Interesting. I, I, I'm I'm curious about what intrigues you about Impa Kasanganai's finishing ability here, right? He's nothing. not much of a finisher. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, more it's so nothing. going off of Harris's uh, you know, lack of striking defense. Uh, lack yeah, of I mean, pretty well. Other. I think Impa's got fairly reliable output, and I think Harris is going to have to work at a pretty high pace too, to you know, to win this fight, even if he's not getting takedowns. And so I kind of think Harris fairly likely to slow down. Plus, again, I agree with you. I don't think Impa has a ton of finishing upside, but at 170 pounds, when you punch a guy in the face enough times, you just never know if they're going to wilt. Yeah. And we haven't really seen Harris get into that yet. And so I don't know. I think it, I think it's an interesting angle on it. I don't hate the. I, I get the logic behind Impa decision. I, I just you know I think it kind of covers what is likely Harris's most likely paths to victory by betting the under there. Perfect, perfect. All right, I don't mind that explanation. I'll take it. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next fight here. A long-awaited UFC debut for Aaron Blanchfield, who steps in and fights uh, Sarah Alpar. If you guys remember, Aaron Blanchfield was actually stepping in to fight Normal Dumont a couple months ago, and Dumont just absolutely obliterated the scale. The fight gets canceled, and Aaron Blanchfield's debut gets pushed back. Now here she is fighting at 125 pounds, where she should have been the entire time compared to her making her initial debut at 135 pounds. But coming down to 125 pounds, this is probably where she needs to be the entire time. And I couldn't think of a better stylistic matchup for her here to make her debut, hence why she's a minus 400 favorite. Opened up at minus 180 on bet online and got immediately steamed down to the minus 300s. Now she's sitting in the minus 400 reigns. However, with all the hype and all that shit, 22 years old, I'm not paying minus 400 for this woman yet. I want to see a little bit more from her before I actually, you know, put my hard-earned money on this woman. Now, she should go out there and cruise, right? I think that's her Alpar's only real 
maybe not advantage, but strength in this fight is wrestling, right? That she has a bit of a wrestling background. She can use that to her advantage. We've seen it in the past. You know, her fight against Jocelyn Edwards, very close fight. It seemed like control versus damage, but judges ended up going well control that night. Uh, and then we've seen her struggle in the past where, you know, if she can't get her opponent down, she gets absolutely butchered on the feet. Now, Aaron Blanchfield, mainly a grappler, but she is getting better with her striking as she's been showing off in her last couple of fights. Obviously, decapitating Victoria Leonardo two fights ago in the second round with a beautiful head kick. And then lastly, uh, you know, having a complete performance against Bro Brogan Walker Sanchez with striking and takedowns. And I feel like if she follows that similar game plan here against Sarah Alpar, she'll have uh, dramatic success. Now, I was kind of hoping for better inside the distance numbers on Aaron Blanchfield, as I feel that if she is able to stuff some takedowns, she should be able to really hurt Sarah Alpar on the feet. I don't believe in Alpar striking whatsoever, uh, but it's just not wide enough for me, right? The last time I checked, the inside the distance is plus 285. I want a yeah. little bit more than that. I'm being a little bit greedy. So, uh, <laughs> In terms of the props here, pretty straightforward. Blanchfield should go out there and pretty much cruise throughout this fight. Uh, Blanchfield by decision plus 120. That's probably the best way to play here. Here, Say what you want about Alpar. She is a little bit tough, but uh, I, I don't know if Blanchfield's striking is that far ahead enough now that she's going to go out and start finishing chicks at a higher clip than that plus 285 indicates. So, uh, yeah, Blanchfield. Very much looking forward to any contrarian take you have here, Mr. Contrarian Fox over there. Uh, how do you see this fight going down? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you have to be unwell to lay minus 350 on Aaron Blanchfield <laughs> here. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I said it on my podcast last night. You know, Sarah Alpar, I mean, one of my biggest regrets of the last year was not laying the chalk with Jessica Rose Clark against her. I, I, I just don't – I, I don't – I want to say this. I went back and listened to my breakdown of that video, and I was just like, do not bay chalk on Jessica Rose Clark. You know, she <laughs> should win this fight. There's no way she's going to have a you know a performance that goes up to minus 210, minus 225 worthy. And then she goes up there and absolutely beats the brakes off of her. So, yeah, I mean, that's where I, that's where I was that fight. I was like, I, I, after I taped Alpar, and again, after I hit for this time, I was like, man, I don't think Alpar has any chance here. But also – the girl's going to wrestle a lot, and it's Jessica Rose Clark. How can I do this? Yeah. And I feel the same way here, except I think in terms of the grappling, I think Blanchfield's a bit more trustworthy than Jessica Rose Clark is. And she didn't give Jessica Rose Clark many problems, where defensive grappling has kind of been, you know, her kryptonite in the UFC, and Alpar's going to wrestle. I do agree. I think an Alpar path to victory likely looks like two or three takedowns and a lot of cage push and kind of getting lucky, you know, obviously maybe something meme and crazy happens, but it's very hard for me to see her winning this fight reliably there. Uh, in terms of Blanchfield, I, I'm fairly bullish on Blanchfield coming into the UFC, I suppose. You know, I think she's a pretty good striker. I think she's a pretty good submission grappler. You know, I do have some worries about, you know, her defensive grappling long-term against elite wrestlers, but she's got very dangerous Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and so I don't think many people – are going to be willing to go into her guard. And I don't think, you know, even if Alpar tries here, I think she could be putting herself in a world of trouble there. Um, and so I'm not really overly concerned about that. Yeah, I mean, Blanchfield should handle her, right? Sarah Alpar doesn't really belong in the UFC. You know, I, again, she's another one. I appreciate her game plan. You know, someone who's going to come out there and attempt eight, ten takedowns, they're giving themselves the best chance to win. She's just, you know, not very good. That's just the reality. Uh, in terms of props, you know, I, I thought about Blanchfield KO, but then it's like you rewatch the Clark fight and like I, Clark KO'd her in what the last minute, right? I think of the fight. Yeah. It was very late after beating. Could have stopped it earlier too, though. I, I think it was Chris Dione who wanted to see a dead body. <laughs> let's be honest. Holding the older two and over two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Hold. <laughs> uh, but like, 
I wouldn't say I was impressed about anything with Alpar at that fight, but she did show the ability to take a beating. And so I'm a little hesitant to pull the trigger on KO. Um, I don't think playing Blansfield inside the distance plus 185 is bad. It leaves room for the sub. I, I don't really want to play an over here just because, you know, it is WMMA, but I really do think it could be one of those things where it's like, Alpar takes her out once and ends up getting triangled or armbarred, right? You know, and, and so I, I don't really, you know, Alpar's too exploitable defensively for me to play an over. Uh, I guess if I was playing aside, it would be Blanchfield inside the distance. Yeah, that that's the thing. I feel like as we need to really see Blanchfield get closer to achieving that potential that a lot of people believe that she has. Because yeah. if she gets close to that, even in this fight, she will more than likely get a finish, but we got to see it first, right? Yeah. I personally, I don't know. I guess I'm just being a little bit too greedy, wanting more than 285 for that uh, inside the distance. But again, I, I guess one argument, I guess an argument for it would be I mean, she did finish Victoria Leonardo, I think, right? And Leonardo is yeah. probably a better version of Sarah Alpar, for being honest. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it was like two like head kicks. Yeah. That she the true. same exact head kicks that she fucking hit. She hits that her twice, <laughs> and Victoria Leonardo doesn't learn shit uh, about that. Maybe maybe really Sir Alparo saw something on tape that, that she could be you know at least uh, signaled or warned that a head kick is coming. <laughs> Can you imagine betting Victoria Leonardo against Manion Fiora? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a Fido believer yet or what? No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I swear she's fighting in the next couple of weeks, right? She has a, yeah, oh, I, I I will be betting on the other side of that. Oh, yeah, Myra Bueno Silva, right? Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Uh yeah, interesting, interesting matchup. I think the line is a little bit wide. They're just off a of pre-tape memory, but yeah. yeah, I can't wait to get into that one. All right. Well, uh, get back to let's get back to USC Vegas 37, though, because the next up we got uh Montel Jackson going up against JB Bays. I feel as though me and uh, John are gonna have some uh, same sentiments here. So I'll quickly try to get through this one so we can get some more thoughts from him but we got montel jackson minus 650 and jp bays plus 475 uh we have seen jackson obviously defeated twice now ricky simone and brett johns uh always happy to hit that brett johns underdog spot in that fight i just thought as though it was a very good spot for him to go out there and exploit the somewhat green and somewhat unbattle tested uh montel jackson and uh luckily brett johns was able to do so that night I still think that Jackson has some solid potential, though. I feel as though he has some decent hands. Good. Uh, I think he will have the better striking here compared to JP Bays. Uh, but when it comes to the ground game, that's where, where it should get a little bit interesting. Uh, I do feel as though that, uh, you know, Bays has some crafty grappling uh, skills, but I feel as though if he can be broken, as I feel like Montel Jackson will be able to break him, he's going to start to fold. And then after that, he really does start to look for the exit sign more often than not very fragile very uh, you know untrustworthy with his durability which is why i actually like the fight doesn't go to decision here it's like minus 200 range i really like that spot i was hoping that we, they would set the 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 actual total at two and a half rather than one and a half but they're privy to it they know that Bayes obviously looks for that exit sign but i'm still happy with that slight chalk uh at minus 200 on the fight doesn't go to decision because i'd be very surprised that uh if this fight does actually see that full 15 minutes i do think that it's going to be jackson who ends up putting his hands on base and, and gets him out of there uh it's just not 
it's not promising at all seeing the way that Baze was reacting to eating those shots by Bruno Silva the other fight, right? And you're now you're talking about Martel Jackson, who probably hits a little bit harder. You know, obviously with his Francis and Ganu as cans, uh, he's obviously going to be able to generate more power and probably more damage. And I feel as though at a certain point that Baze, he will obviously be fighting for your money for maybe the first six or so minutes. But after that, if he doesn't have much success, I think he's going to actually find that to exit and we'll see Montel Jackson get him out of there. I'm not fully on board with trusting Montel Jackson yet. I still feel he needs to to go out there and prove some more things to us not just knocking out freaking jesse strader who looks like he had the 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 simple jack haircut going into that last fight <laughs> um but uh but yeah i do think that montel jackson can get it done here uh in terms of props like i said fight doesn't go to decision minus 200 i like that under two and a half if you do have the uh have access to that alternate total minus 145. I think that's a great line as well. Jackson KO plus 105. Jackson sub plus 555. Even Jackson inside the distance uh, minus 140. A little bit chalky, but again, it's pretty. I feel like the writing's on the wall here in terms of how it should go. Uh, John, how do you feel like this one's going to go, brother? Oh, man. I'm like, I'm anti, anti, anti. Um... Montel Jackson. I just have been his entire career. I, I, I don't, I see the appeal in Montel Jackson as a fighter. Obviously, the guy is enormous for 135, great athlete, pretty good offensive wrestler, hits very hard, ha- keeps a fairly high output. Those are all, you know, things you look for. My problem with him is I don't think he's made, you know, he's a good offensive wrestler, but I don't think he's made much of really of an effort to like correct his defensive wrestling you know he has the same problems in every single fight he gets backed up to the fence pretty easy like he doesn't really have much ring craft and when he's there he just doesn't build a wide base in the fence so it becomes very easy for guys who can double him like him to clasp their, clasp their hands get him down and then on the mat he gives up his back every time now you touched on it he does have those fucking meat cleavers for hands and somehow just having huge hands has enabled him not be subbed yet despite everybody who's taken him down getting his back um it's remarkable to be honest and you know credit to him i guess for that you know it's one of his inherent physical gifts uh, but yeah, so generally I haven't been a Jackson guy. I honestly, when this line came out, was fairly certain I was going to bet JP Bays here just because I, because of the issues I have with Jackson and his Bays will wrestle. The problem is like, after looking at it a bit more, I don't, I don't hate Bays and I did bet Bruno Silva against him, but like, I think Bays is a decent game. He has, there's a couple problems here. First of all, you know, Bays isn't a bantamweight, you know, the guy's tiny. He's like five foot five, you know, he's not. You know, I know he's talking about, you know, how this is going to be a big difference for him. There's not many 5'5 five, five bantamweights, man. That's, like, real small. Uh, yeah. Jackson is huge. The second thing is, to beat Jackson, he's got to do one of two things. He's got to be able to sub him or show the discipline to kind of get him down all fight. Could he sub him? Yeah. You know, I touched on the fact Jackson does give his back when he gets taken down. And Baze is a pretty good wrestler. Like, Baze could hit him, take him down early and take his back. But... I don't, you know, Baze doesn't have great jujitsu, and so like I don't think he's gonna sub Montel. And the problem, and like, like he could, I just don't think it's a very high outcome. And then, you know, the other way here is he has to be able to grind number fifteen. And I just think Baze definitively, we've seen, hasn't displayed the cardio to go a hard fifteen, which is what he's gonna need to go here, because it's not like he's gonna be able to relax at space with Montel. If he's staying in space, things are gonna go south in a hurry, in all likelihood. Um, and, you know, on top of it, you know, I'm talking about the Bayes angle with Bayes being able to take Montel down. Montel is probably the better wrestler of the two. We can probably take him down as well. And so I wanted, for all these reasons, I wanted to take Bayes. I just don't I, – I don't really see it. You know, I've still thought about it, but it's like I think Montel is probably – 
75, 80%. So I don't even think it's necessarily a huge edge here for Bayes. What I do like, though, probably the most on this fight is Bayes Montel doesn't go to decision. It's around minus 200. And, you know, you touched on it. Bayes, very fragile. You know, he's been, fin you know, when he's lost in the past, he's gotten finished. Uh, when his gas tank starts to go, he seems to just quit. You know, I don't know if you recall seeing it. He got, he won a fight via disqualification for yeah. strikes in the back the of the Russian, head. The Russian fight, yeah, yeah. And he was not hurt at all. <laughs> he was at he was working that. He wanted the fuck out of that fight. Yeah, like that that is that what hard. happened. And yeah. you know, you kind of saw it with Silva too. You know, as soon as Silva gave him some resistance, you know, it seemed like he didn't want to be there anymore. Uh, and I honest, know, those punches didn't seem the heaviest either that were kind of no. dropping him and hurting him, right? I don't know. Like again, I'm sure those punches would knock me the fuck out. But for a fighter, I feel yeah, like they yeah. were not that impactful. Well, and it's also just like the way he was reacting to it. Like instead of like looking to parry or move his head or kind of just find a more advantageous position, he seemed to want to just kind of get away from it, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is not really what you're what you're looking for. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I think Jackson's got a great chance to finish, and I do think you know the ITD kind of covers Bane's most vi most viable path, which is probably a fairly early submission or maybe a victory via ground and pound. Yeah, I do think we're going to see some serious violence in this fight. That's why I'd rather take a little bit of chalk on the fight to go to decision rather than just taking the yeah. Montel Jackson straight spot here. <clears throat> Last thing I'll say, <clears throat> excuse me. Last thing I'll say about this matchup, if it has any merit at all, in terms of the coaching situation here for JP Bays, normally a Fortis MMA guy, but if you guys remember Shane Baez in her last win, she was talking about how after they got married, she got kind of dragged out to Fortis MMA, and that was more of a, you know, just her kind of going with JP. And then after her first loss, where she lost to Montserrat Ruiz, she decided to go back to Extreme Couture, bring Bays with her, or her husband with her, and they kind of set up camp over there at Extreme Couture. So now it seems like uh, JP Bays is more of an Extreme Couture guy. How much of a, a difference is going to have on this fight? I'm not 100% sure, but uh, it's still worth to be noted. What's up? You don't have any – do you have any friends at Extreme Couture? Uh, maybe. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't say what I was going to say. Ask. What do you know, want? How, how many guys have gotten to Extreme Couture and gotten better? I'll wait. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a – I'm the last there, fighter that actually went to – well, well, Francis Ngannou was probably the only guy, right? He's a, a freak. <laughs> I know, but I mean, like, in terms of what he showed in that second Stipe fight, you know, that was extreme couture work there in terms of being able to stop takedowns and all that type of shit. Aljo went there and got worse. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Misha Serkinov. So we actually have an extreme couture location up here in Toronto, and uh, Misha Serkinov originally trained out of there. Then he moved down, and then I think that's when he got knocked the fuck out by Ryan Stan. <laughs> but, uh, whatever. Well, if anything, hey, this helps us even more with this fight. doesn't go to decision. Yeah, so yeah, for sure. By all means, go to extreme couture, my brother. Um, uh, but yeah, um, I do want to shout out to Eric Nixick over there. That guy's an absolute beast. Did some good things with some good fighters over there. That's all I'm going to say with that. All right, let's move on to the next fight here before I get into some more shit. Uh, it was supposed to be Nicholas Mota versus Cameron Van Camp. However, uh, that fight did get pulled, like I said, just less than an hour ago. Uh, no clarity in terms of which side got pulled out, but it was due to an injury of some sort. It doesn't matter. Fight's not happening anymore. I know John was saying, thank God that fight got pulled because he didn't even bother <laughs> tape setting it. So I would have been carrying that breakdown anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right. <clears throat> 
Let's get to uh, the next one. Uh, another short notice spot here. We got Brandon Jenkins, who just knocked out former UFC fighter Jacob Kilburn over there in PFL a couple weeks ago. Now he steps in on short notice to fight Zhu Rong. Uh, interesting fight here in terms of odds. Uh, I think we got some absolute craziness here. Minus 335 for Zhu Rong, plus 255 for Brandon Jenkins. Don't really understand the line there. I think more so people are just like, oh, this guy's coming in on short notice. This guy was a minus 210 in his UFC debut. Maybe this is his turnaround spot. No, I don't think it's like that. I will say this, though. I'm still not 100% sold on Brandon Jenkins. I will say right off the bat, the line is too wide. If you're looking for value on this fight, you bet on the underdog. However, I'm still coming out on the other side, picking Zurong to win this fight. I just can't trust him at this minus 335, right? He's a 21-year-old guy, 21 fights under his record. Obviously, Chinese fights under his record, so we don't know how fishy those are right now in terms of the legitimacy behind them, No matter, uh, not to mention the possible lack of experience in terms of the fighters that he was fighting over there. But uh, here with Brandon Jenkins, he's going to be fighting another solid guy, right? Rodrigo Vargas obviously pulled off the upset in his UFC debut as a plus-185 underdog, and now he's fighting a guy with a kind of similar type of uh, level of experience, right, with a, a guy like Brandon Jenkins. Uh, nickname, I believe, is the highlight reel, and you kind of see it when you see his fighting style. Throws a lot of spinning, jumping shit, uh, has some good uh, handiwork. I do feel as though when he's the one kind of pushing the pace, he's a little bit more of a pot shotter and just looking for his his one KO knockout type of thing. He is a little bit consistent with it, uses his kicks very well in terms of trying to corral his opponents into the direction that he wants to take them. Uh, Zhu Rong, I feel like, is a little bit more of a crisper striker. However, I feel like if he does find success in this fight, it will be to drag this fight to the ground. We have seen Brandon Jenkins have tremendous, uh, you know, or huge flaws on the ground. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but I'm not completely sold on Zurong being this crazy wrestler or this crazy grappler either. So, yeah, this line is too wide to begin with. I have a sneaky suspicion that the under is a little bit of an interesting spot here. I do feel like we're going to see some chaos. And not to mention Brandon Jenkins coming in on short notice. Who knows how fight-ready he actually is, right? Is he going to have the gas tank to go 50 minutes if he needs to? Or is he going to go out there like a madman and try to decapitate Zhurong? Uh, no crazy props out yet. We only have the over-under. Uh, the under 2.5 is at minus 125. I don't mind that. I feel like we're going to see some chaos in this fight. How do you see this one going down? Well, first of all, we got a big plus number here, and we don't need props. Brandon Jenkins, <laughs> Brandon Jenkins is not good, but Zurong is not good. Okay, I, I wouldn't like. I know you touched on he was a minus two ten in his last fight with Kazula Vargas. That line was hilariously bad. Okay, yeah. I don't understand how anybody could have watched his regional tape and been like, oh. Here we go. You know, I'm going to lay 70% implied on wrong here. You know, and I, I bet Vargas there pretty confidently, and he did what I expected him to do. I, I don't disagree with you that wrong is probably a crisper and more technical striker. I'm trying to think of the best way to enunciate this. But I do think when it comes to actually making reads that Jenkins is a bit better. So, like, I think wrong can out-technique him in some regards, but I think Jenkins – probably is the more has better timing and is a better counter striker than wrong is uh, on top of which my general issue with wrong like he is somewhat technical and he hits hard it's that he has virtually no ability to win minutes you know he doesn't do things like, i think he threw 78 total strikes against kazula vargas like that's that's crazy you know, you know? especially a guy like you know i might have given some credence to this being like oh step up in competition for Brandon Jenkins, you know, maybe he'll let his hands go more, except it's not really. Brandon Jenkins has actually fought a pretty difficult, you know, strength of schedule comparatively for most guys making a debut in the UFC. Probably a stronger strength of schedule than what Zurong has fought, if we're being honest here. And yeah. so 
and Vargas is bottom tier. So like, I don't really think there's a lot of reason to think wrong is going to suddenly up his output. And if he doesn't, it's like, yeah, Jenkins is very hittable and he could knock him out. But Jenkins is also very, very durable. You know, you see it in just about every fight of his. And so I, the best case scenario for wrong, if he doesn't knock him out is kind of, in my opinion, on the feet anyway, is winning a close decision where maybe he wins on damage optics because I do think he gets outlanded pretty regularly. The real question is, will Wrong try to take him down a lot? And if so, does he dominate him there? Because we have seen Jenkins have issues there. Uh, I guess the issue for me is I don't think Wrong's a very good grappler. Even when he's been on top, he just does a lot of stuff that I don't think is very technical and kind of leaves you a lot of openings to get back to your feet. Maybe Jenkins can't capitalize on that. But I do think when looking at this fight, to like come to the conclusion Wrong is... I don't know, 75, 80% implied somewhere, somewhere in there that he should be that big of a favorite. You have to think he can dominate the fight consistently in one area. And I just don't really see how anybody could come to that conclusion. If I'm being honest, I agree. The under could be interesting because Jenkins is, he's a bit crazy in there. Like he will try to like force a finish in fights <clears throat> and wrong does hit hard, but in, in general, I mean, I, I'm happy to play Jenkins a plus 250 here, to be honest. Yeah, this is a, one of those fights that's kind of a definition of, you know, the, the odds are just way off, right? Like the odds are way too off. I don't know how you can come to a conclusion that's wrong, deserves to be this big of a favorite. I think the main leading factor to that is the fact that people just see uh, Jenkins coming in on short notice in the spot. That's really about it, right? Yeah. Um, th th that's really the only conclusion I can come down to. All right, right let's move matter. on to... Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Paddy Kanzad going up against Raquel Pennington. In terms of odds, we got minus 125-ish on Pennington, plus 105 on Paddy Kanzad. And uh, I've never been a huge fan of Pennington in the past, but I feel as though we have to start giving her due in terms of, you know, she's not great at anything, but she's kind of good at almost everything, right? She's getting better in terms of her cardio, is obviously looking better from training there up in Colorado. Uh, physically speaking, she's obviously getting into better shape than she's ever been in before. So that definitely will always help in terms of, you know, implementing clinch heavy or grapple heavy uh, approaches if that's what she needs to do. And I feel as, as though she's going to have to do that here against a girl like Pani Kianzad. The fight that I kind of go back and look at and see, okay, what can we take away from this fight that could possibly go with this fight is the Irene Aldana fight where you have a girl that's, you know, a good technical striker, can fight from the outside, likes to fight at distance and get their striking going from there, just like Patty Kianzad. However, I feel like Penny at times is just a little bit too disciplined, if that's, if you understand yeah. what I mean, right? She waits a little bit too much. She waits for openings. And then by that time, she's getting touched up or she's getting pushed back. And optically speaking, it just doesn't look too good to the judges. <clears throat> I will say... I thought Alexis Davis made a damn good case in terms of beating Pat and Kansad that night. If you look on MMA decisions, a lot of people had uh, uh, Davis winning that fight. And I feel as though you're getting a much better version of Alexis Davis here with Raquel Pennington, who has, you know, better striking, better cardio, better forward movement, and more reliable to, yeah. you know, engage in the clinch and try to uh, drag fights to the ground, just as we saw her doing the Irene Aldana fight. So I, I like P Pennington in this fight. I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of surprised how much I like her here. Um, you know, Penny, technically speaking, is the better striker. Don't get me wrong. But that doesn't always mean that that fighter is going to win. Just like Zhu Rong and, uh, and fucking Brandon Jenkins, right? It doesn't always mean that the more technical striker is going to win. In this situation, I think that uh, the, uh, Pennington consistently pushing her back, optically always a, a really good fighter in terms of trying to win fights. Uh, and yeah, I think that this is a very good spot for her to go out and beat a girl like Penny Kenzad, who has a little bit of a momentum behind her now, but I think it comes to a stop here. I don't think that Penny gets behind or gets past a girl like Pennington. Obviously, no real keenness on betting a finish in this fight. I, I don't think either woman gets a finish. I think they're both quite durable. Uh, Pennington, not a notorious finisher either. So 
we're going to go to the decision prop, as we always do. Plus 125 for anything via decision. That's why I like here. How, how do you see this one going down? Yeah, I mean, I've been... It's weird because I like I like Panny's boxing a lot. I mean, what's not to like? She's obviously a very, very yeah. technical boxer. The problem is I think her game is very one-dimensional. Um, I faded her in each of her last two fights, and I felt like I had the analysis right in both fights. You know, Eubanks takes her down around one, holds her down fairly easily, but then gassed out and couldn't get her down again. And then last fight, you know, <laughs> Davis gave her all – you could see, you know, Davis just a far more diverse striker, and she was doing things that, you know, Panny just doesn't have really the skill set to deal with. But – Ultimately, it was a very close fight that ended up. I think it was a split decision, right? Am I wrong about that? The Davis one, I believe it was unanimous. Sorry, let me just uh, that just really freaked me out. Look that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I apologize. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a very, very close fight. You know, it I, was I, unanimous. I okay, so yeah. but it was a close fight. I thought Davis had won, but coming in here, it's like. I think Pennington, I'm not sure I would say Pennington is a better distance striker than Davis, but I think she just offers more ways to nullify um, Penny's offense. Like you touched on it with the Aldana fight. You know, Irene Aldana, one of the highest volume strikers in WMMA, and I think she only landed like 40 strikes across the whole fight because Pennington really plays the inside-outside game really well. She's not going to sit down in the pocket and let you punch her in the face. She's either going to hang on the outside, throw kicks, try to dart in and out, or pin you to the fence and clinch you up there. And I don't really think Panny has the tools to deal with that, especially because I do think Pennington can probably corral her on the fence. I don't really expect Pennington to attempt a ton of takedowns. Not really her game, but I think she should own her in the clinch here, to be completely honest. And I also just – I don't really think Pennington's seeing anything she hasn't dealt with before. Like, this is a girl who went four and a half rounds with Amanda Nunes. You know, she went to a decision with Jermaine Durandamy. Relatively – you know, she's had some close fights with very, very good competition. And so I don't really think even standing, Panny can really dominate. I think it's probably close at distance. And – Pennington just has massive upside in terms of the clinch or if she hits takedowns. And so, I mean, yeah, I like Pennington here. In terms of props, though, this is a juicy one, but I do like the goes decision minus 300. And I'll, and I'll tell you, and like, I don't mind Pennington by decision either, to be honest, but I'll tell you why. You know, Pennington hasn't finished anybody since 2015. Very raw Jessica Andrade, who she finished there on the mat, who uh, was making a lot of mistakes on the mat. And Penny, like, I don't think Pennington has a better top game than C.R. Eubanks, to be honest. And Eubanks did pass her guard a lot, but Eubanks is much more active on top than Pennington is. And so I kind of think even if Pennington hits a takedown or two here, uh, she's not likely – the chances of her finishing are quite low. And on the feet, I think it's probably – I'd be very surprised if anybody got flash KO'd here. And a standing KO probably requires an injury of some sort or a cut, you know. Uh, Pennington's super tough. I can't see Penny finishing her. And, you know, Pennington couldn't put away Marion Renault's corpse on the feet. So, <laughs> you know, I, 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 it's minus 300, but I like it, you know, that goes the distance here. And I like Pennington's decision. Not often. We can clip that because not often do you hear my guy John say minus 300. <laughs> A little never. juicy, but I like it. <laughs> you never hear never. that. <laughs> John. So, uh, you know, go ahead and stick that into your parlays if you want. And if it crashes, you can blame John. All right, let's move on to the if it next crashes, fight. That's why I don't bet minus 300s. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, next up we got, uh, I believe this is the prelim headliner. We got Tafan and Chukwi going up against uh, Mike Rodriguez. Uh, minus 120 on Nchukwi now and plus 100 for Mike Rodriguez. Both of them having underwhelming performances last time around. Obviously, Mike Rodriguez... Probably my least or my my 
the my lowest moment of my betting career, backing him as a heavy favorite against a guy like Danilo Marquez. You know, I, I, I it pains my heart to even bring that up, to be honest, because I, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking there. I, for me, it was more so downplaying the skill set of Danilo Marquez. I really don't think he's a good fighter. And obviously, I should have waited until at least getting a guy like Kennedy and Zedjiku, who even still pre-fight, I wasn't confident enough in taking Danilo. I was probably having some, as Z would say, PT. PTBD, post-traumatic bet disorder. Uh, you know, I felt like taking Kennedy, and that's where I probably would have been the best way to go. With that said, though, Mike Rodriguez, good striker, has some good power. Obviously, a Muay Thai background. Looks like a fish out of water off of his back, which is obviously not a good thing. Uh, but I'd be surprised if we see much grappling in this fight. But Tafan and Chukwe, he's coming back up to uh, 205 pounds after losing his last fight to Junyoung Park. And it seems like everybody's jumping off the Tafan train after he lost to Park last time around. I don't know if that's people just, you know, completely shitting on Nchukwi now or just significantly uh, underrating what Junior Park was bringing to the table. Um, I still think Tafon has some decent skill sets that he can bring to the table here. And I feel like if he can't get past a guy like Mike Rodriguez, it's not a good look. Personally, I do like the Tafon side here. I do think that he'll be able to put on uh, some decent combinations, some decent striking to at least uh, kind of freeze Mike Rodriguez. And I could see some situations where he pushes him up against the cage and has some decent success there. He's very... Um, he has some decent output in the clinch with his knees. He stays active enough in there. I will say, though, Mike Rodriguez, heavy elbows in the clinch. Obviously, as we saw in that Marcin uh, Tybura fight, or sorry, uh, Marcin Pracnia fight, uh, being able to dispatch of him with those elbows there. It's it's such a weird fight for me, but I have this weird confidence in Defon to be able to right his wrongs of his last fight. Uh, I feel as though 185 was not a good uh, spot for him. Too slow for that division. Needs to go up and fight these, you know, guys nicknamed Slow Mike Rodriguez, right? He needs to go out there and fight guys like these. Uh, and I feel like he's going to be the tighter, crisper striker here. I th even think he could potentially find a finish here against Rodriguez. I still believe in his power. I think he could find that chin of Mike and put him down. So, obviously, in terms of props, I'm looking at Tafan uh, via KO. Why don't I have this up, right? Where there it is, uh, Tafan via KO currently sitting at plus 200. I do think he has the chops to go out there and knock out a guy like Mike Rodriguez, who man, <laughs> again, it, it might be the PTBD for me, but uh, you know, finishing at Herman twice and not getting his hand raised still, and uh, even the Danilo Marquez fight where he just did not pull the trigger at all, not a good look. Obviously, back against the wall now. If he loses this, this one, he's probably out of the UFC, but. I do like Tafan here. I think he bounces back and he gets a vicious KO by taking out Mike Rodriguez. I feel as though you're going to have a different take here. So lay it on me, brother. How do very, you very, very different take. Um, I am not a Tafan guy, uh, to be yeah. honest. I faded him in his contenders fight against Alma Deval, who was two weight classes smaller. Um, I faded him big against Jun Young Park in his last fight. Uh, and I still, you know, I am with you. Like, Mike, if, if Mike Rodriguez was like, not a flake and did and had great fight iq i would be on him huge here uh i instead i do think he's that and i do think he's prone to kind of collapsing if things start to go south on him and just making a lot of dumb mistakes but i you know i look at the fight and i'm just like you know my view on tafan has always kind of been i appreciate the output he brings for his size like that's great the problem is you know he just I'm not saying he can't be a good fighter in the UFC. I think he was rushed to the promotion and he is not even almost ready for it at this time. You know, the problem is, you know, he doesn't really cut the cage well at all. You know, when he comes into the pocket, he prefers, he kind of does the gaugey thing where he shells up instead of moving his head to play defense, which obviously he leaves a ton of openings to the body and, you know, it's pretty easy to punch around a guard in MMA. Um, 
And against a guy like Rodriguez, who's going to work the body and who actually does have decent ring craft, you know, it's something that's a huge concern for me. Uh, on top of which, I think there's a big speed edge for Rodriguez here, on top of also having a somewhat significant size edge as well on Tafan. And so, like, I look at it standing and it's like, I don't like Mike Rodriguez, but I think he's actually a pretty good striker, to be honest. It's just he has fight IQ issues and he has a tendency to panic when he gets grappled. But even in the grappling, I don't really think Tafan can hold him down. You know, Rod's got decent first level get up. It's like when he fights a guy like Marquez who can get on top of him and pass his guard. But like he was getting up against John Alon like fine. And I think that's Tafan probably a similar top game there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think Rod's a level or two better as a striker, to be completely honest, um, at this point in his career. Now, I'm not saying Tafan can't get better. He's very, very young. But I, I just... I looked at this fight and I'm just like, I don't, I can't say I don't see how Defon wins. I think him knock him pressuring Rodriguez and finding a knockout on the chin is very, very in play. But I do think, you know, minute to minute, I think Rod's going to have his way here, to be completely honest. Um, so I bet Rodriguez is a dog here. Uh, in terms of, you know, props for the fight, I actually like Rodriguez by decision a lot because I do think, you know, Junyoung Park, you know, hit Tafan a lot here and, you know, also got on top and, beat, you know, was crushing him at the end of that fight and couldn't finish him. I, I kind of think Tafan's super, super durable. And so I'm not saying Rod can't finish him. He certainly can. But I think there's a fairly strong chance he doesn't. And I do favor Rod minute to minute pretty heavily. And so when I was, like, looking at the fight, I'm like, I favor Rod decently and – I think a large portion of his win equity is decision. So for me, plus 230 is a pretty decent number there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I like Rodriguez here. God damn. Right back on the horse with the guy, Mike Rodriguez. But again, both guys, even no matter who you're backing here, they obviously had a very underwhelming performance last time around. So, uh, good to, to dig into the tape and try to find that edge here. Uh, obviously, I'm picking the Tafon KO side, and John is taking Rodriguez uh, by decision. Completely different takes here. So let's see who ends up coming out on the right side here. All right, let's move on to the next fight. And I believe this is the main card opener. And I always want to take this time to remind you guys, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe. And then obviously go support my guy, John, by following him on Twitter at MMA Fox. And obviously following his uh, own channel, Club and Sub Podcast. They do their show every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern. Link is in the description below for the channel. So make sure you guys give him a subscribe over there. All right, let's move on to this first fight. On the main card, we got Joaquin Buckley going up against Antonio Ohio. In terms of odds, we got minus 200 for Buckley, plus 174, Antonio Ohio. Interesting fight here. You know, we we know what we're going to get with Buckley at all times, although I will give him the benefit of the doubt this time around in terms of he no longer is carrying that pressure, right? There's a lot of pressure on your shoulders to go out there and try to capitalize on that crazy knockout that he had over Impa Kazanganai. Um and then, you know, obviously dispatches of Jordan right the way that he did and then gets head kicked to Mars uh, by Alessio DiCarico back in January. Now he's taken roughly nine months off, gets back into the cage. And I feel as though he's going to be a little bit freer and a little bit... I don't think he'll have as much pressure on himself. I feel like we'll see him go out there and put on a, a classic Buckley-type performance, which is head down, move forward, throw big wigging hooks, try to just eventually find that knockout blow or at least look like you're winning on the cards or optically enough that the judges are actually going to give you a decision here. Antonio Hoyo finally fighting somebody that's probably not going to attack him from a grapple-heavy stance. Uh, obviously, Ohio's uh, uh, strength is a striking, so I'd be interested to see if he can finally let his hands go here. I will say the line is a little bit wide. I'm not trusting Buckley at minus 200 here, although I do believe he has a style to go out there and give a guy like Antonio Hoyo troubles. He should be able to move forward. He should be able to land some big shots, and I think he can actually put out a Hoyo later in this fight. 
I think Buckley has solid uh, uh, cardio. I think he can go out there and keep up that Buckley-type pace for 15 minutes, and I feel eventually he's going to find that chin of Ohio, as I believe that Ohio does have a pretty bad uh, uh, gas tank, and I believe you can definitely question his uh, chin here, especially once he gets checked by a guy, Joaquin Buckley. So I'm going to take Buckley here. I have heard some inklings out there that he, apparently he's working a lot on his wrestling. So maybe he wants to take a page out of Deron Wynn's book and try to grapple fuck Antonio Ohio here. I'm sure Ohio will not be happy if that's the case, given that he's thinking he's going to go out there and have a striking battle with uh, Buckley. But uh, you got to be ready for everything once you're taking on, uh, you know, when, when you're in the MMA cage here. So I do like Buckley. Uh, I do like Buckley by KO as well. I do think he's going to eventually find that chin. I think the later that this fight goes, the more chances he'll actually find the chin here. And in terms of odds, Buckley by KO plus 100. Uh, I wish we were getting a little bit more on that, to be honest. But I wouldn't even mind uh, poking the uh, the round props here. Buckley round two plus 475. Buckley round three plus 850. I think he eventually finds that chin after breaking that guard and eventually breaking uh, Ohio down. How do you feel like this one goes down, brother? Yeah, I mean, oh God, this is such a weird fight. And, like, I really, really wanted to bet Ahoyo here. There's just, like, so many holes in his game, though. You know, I, I think he does – Ahoyo, like, you touched on, like, you know, the Buckley and Ahoyo side pretty well. I think Ahoyo does some stuff that can affect Buckley. You know, the knees up the middle, the head kicks. You know, I don't really think – uh, the Jakirico head kick was as random as most head kicks are primarily because, you know, Buckley, he has a tendency to like dip every time he enters the pocket, you know, he's there to get kicked all the time in the head. He just makes, and he's a little reckless when he comes in too. So like, he's there to get countered hard by legs. The, and so like, I think, you know, Arroyo could do stuff to present problems for him, especially if Buckley kind of does what he has want to do sometimes and blitz from a bit too far out and come up a bit short. He could find himself in a bit of trouble. But, like, the problem for me is while I can see, you know, an Arroyo head KO, I can see him hurting him in knees up the middle and stuff, you know, a few times. I just don't think Arroyo does a whole lot else that really affects him here. You know, Arroyo doesn't seem very comfortable using his boxing. You know, he's so much bigger. If he was a guy – if I had faith that he could jab and kind of circle off, I'd be pretty confident playing him here. But he doesn't really jab at all. You know, he just doesn't really box. And Buckley's going to go forward. And Arroyo, when you get him backed up, you know, chin in the air. He does that typical, you know, lean back and try to avoid, you know, getting hit, which when you're against the cage doesn't tend to work too well. Um, I will give him credit. He's reasonably durable, it seems like. Um, but you put yourself in enough spots against a guy like Buckley who's going to go forward and let his hands go, and I think he's there to be hurt. Uh, so like I said, it's weird because, again, I can see Ahoyo doing things to affect Buckley and cause him, like, real problems in this fight. I just – between the cardio, like, I think – I don't think Buckley has great cardio, but I think it's adequate. Whereas I don't, I don't think Royals is adequate at all. And so it's like round three, you'd favor Buckley pretty heavily in the event that it went there. And even early in the fight, Ahoyo's output is so low, I'd still lean to Buckley on minutes. And so I think Ahoyo's win condition is pretty much narrow to, could he win a decision? Sure. But I think it's massively in favor of KO here. Uh, and Buckley, I do kind of think, if Buckley doesn't get killed, his style is such that he's likely to, you know, basically force a finish. And so I kind of like, I kind of like, you know, the fight that the under one and a half here, like plus 100, you know, um, I also kind of like a Hoyo round one plus a thousand since I do think, you know, if he's going to win the fight in, you know, period, the vast majority of the time, it's going to be a very early KO. Uh, so yeah, I think those are my two takes. Cause I do think Buckley's going to do the kind of things that are, 
going to force these guys to exchange and some and people to get hit hard with two guys who have finishing ability. And yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to play a Hoya, play the early props. Yeah, I think uh, if you guys actually go back and watch the Dikirico fight for Buckley, one of the first things that Cormier says that uh, Dikirico should do to win that fight is just kick. And he kept kicking, 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 yeah. and eventually went to the head and knocked him out. I will say this about Ohio. His kicking game is probably one of the better things about his uh, striking style to begin with. So uh, hopefully he can go out there and implement something like that uh, if he wants to get a victory here. But yeah, minus 200 on Buckley at this point in time. A little bit too wide for me to be happy with yeah. it. But I don't mind that. I, I would rather take the juice on that two and a half under two yeah. and a half at minus two ten, uh, just in case. But yeah, I'll, I'll probably be uh, be punting on that uh, plus eight fifty Buckley round three as well, though. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Uh, that, that that's a good point, especially Sorry, kind of plus one thousand Ohio round one is absolutely crazy as well, too. That's that's yeah. a very good spot there, brother. <laughs> Thank you. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Nate Maness going up against Tony Gravely. Uh, we got minus two. What is it? Minus two hundred. Yeah, minus 200 on Gravely, uh, plus 170 on Nate Maness. And this is the fighter that I've kind of been looking to or waiting for to fade a guy like Nate Maness, right? Uh, Maness, when he initially came to the UFC, he was scheduled to fight Ray Borg, and I was ready to take Ray Borg in that spot because I thought he I thought he was going to go out there and absolutely grapple fuck Nate Maness. Now we got a guy in Gravely who should be able to go out there and do the same thing. So win-win uh, here, and we got minus 200 on Gravely as well. I think it's a good spot for him. Uh, I do have slight concerns because I feel as though at later in fights, it seems like Gravely slightly slows down, and Maness, by all accounts, his, his cardio doesn't look horrible. I feel like his striking will be you know a notch better than what gravely brings to the table but gravely is still good enough with the striking that he should be able to evade any type of knockout scenario here it's just if this fight gets late luckily though i feel as though he has the chops to go out there and finish a guy like Menes. i feel like he can take him down i feel like he can pass the guard and i feel like he can get to a dominant position and get that finish I truly think that uh, Maness was saved by the bell against Munoz in that first round. If you guys remember watching that, he quickly got to the, that full mount position, uh, got his back, started raining down shots. If he had another maybe 10 or 15 seconds, he probably would have gotten that stoppage. Uh, now, obviously, don't get me wrong, Munoz is a very high-level jiu-jitsu player, pretty much born on the mats. But Gravely, very good wrestler, but he has a pretty good jiu-jitsu game of his own in terms of passing guard and all that. I don't think Maness has much to offer off of his back. He's a good club and subber or much better off of his top off with his top team than he is off of his back. But I think that if Gravely gets him down here, I don't think he'll have too much trouble in terms of passing guard and getting too much more dominant positions. So I actually like Gravely uh, inside the distance here. I do think that he'll go out there and get the finisher against a guy like Nate Maness, who has some decent momentum uh, behind his name now. But I feel as though nobody has really attacked him from that grapple-heavy approach other than Johnny Munoz, who, again, great jiu-jitsu player, Slightly question his wrestling credentials and his capabilities, but we know that T Tony Gravely will better definitely be the better takedown artist here. So we saw Munoz truly struggle to get uh, Maness down in the second rounds. I don't think we're going to see that here from Gravely if that gets to the second round. I think we'll see him easily get this fight to the ground, pass that guard, and eventually find that finish. So in terms of odds uh, for the props, uh, Gravely inside the distance... Uh, plus 235. I don't mind a little bit of a shot there. I'm a little bit stumped in terms of whether it's going to be KO or submission because I feel like he can go for both if he wants to. Uh, but I do like uh, plus 235, like I said, for him to win inside the distance. The other prop that I actually really like here, I truly think Maness's 
win conditions here is more so a finish more than anything. So the under two and a half at plus 155, I don't mind that either. I was close to making that a dog with a night play for myself as I feel like both guys have finishing capabilities here. Obviously, Maness with his hands and possible club and sub situations. And then Gravely, obviously, on the ground as I believe he's truly going to dominate from that top position. So I am going Gravely, Gravely inside the distance plus 235. Uh, but I do like the under two and a half to possibly cover a Nate Maness finish as well at plus 155. I love that spot. I feel like you're having a different take here. I get and I can't wait to hear it. Let's go. I mean, I, I also would bet, bet Ray Borg against Nate Maness, and I yeah. love Gravely <laughs> in this spot. To be honest with you, um, I, I think it's pretty easy to kind of. I've seen some contrarian Maness takes, and I'm not saying look if you see an angle on a dog, I mean, go for it. I'm always that guy. But like, my problem is, yeah, he defended takedowns against Luke Sanders and Johnny Munoz like, for a lot in those fights. The thing is, Gravely is a much different level of wrestler than those guys are. Like, it just, I mean, just watch, you know, the way they set up takedowns, the way they work from the clinch, from one takedown to the next. You know, it's just he's operating on a different level than those guys are, in my opinion, and a level that I just don't think Maness can keep up with. You know, he just hasn't shown the ability to do that throughout his career. And and on top of that, you know, Maness is going to back straight up to the cage. And so Gravely is going to be able to close distance pretty easily, I think. So I kind of think he works Maness without too much issue in the grappling. Kind of like you said, I do have some concerns. Things could get a little dicey in round three. The thing is, like, I'd be more concerned if Maness was more like a Geraldo de Freitas who's going to bite the mouthpiece and go forward. That's not really his game, though. I'd call him more of a counter striker. Like, Sanders just kept giving him his fight and bombing into the pocket yeah. and getting countered every time he went in there. I don't think... Gravely will do that if he does slow down. And Gravely, you know, he's going to try to play the inside-out game. He's not going to go and swing in the pocket with Maness either. And so I don't think the chances of a Maness finish in any round are super high. Um, maybe a little higher at the end, but I don't think so much. In, in terms of – so, I, I mean, I like Gravely on the money line quite a bit here. I bet him at minus 185. I think I think there's still a little bit of meat on the bone. And, look, again, I'm a very anti-juice guy, but I just think, you know – that Gravely is just in a completely different level than what Manessa is personally. Um, in terms of props, I'm kind of on the other side from you here because I wasn't impressed with Manessa's bottom game against Munoz. Like, obviously, I wasn't impressed, but I do think Munoz is a much more um, dangerous grappler on top than Gravely is. Obviously, Gravely will throw ground and pound, and it's certainly possible you know he ends up mounting him or gets back mount at some point and finishes him here. But I do kind of think, you know, Gravely, if he's smart, is just going to try to lock down top position and hold him there. And, you know, maybe he'll finish him on top. But I, my own view is, you know, I've seen Maness survive on the map before. I'm inclined to think he probably will here as well. So, like, I kind of think a Gravely decision is, like, almost even money and you're getting it at plus 150. So, like, I actually like that quite a bit here. Uh, Tony Gravely nine i believe sorry 12 out of his 21 victories coming via finish uh but nine out or eight out of his last nine wins have all come via finish so he's definitely more of a finisher now than he was earlier in his career so i'm looking forward to seeing if he can do that here against nate maness last thing i'll say about this matchup the fight that i'm always kicking myself about is the uh, jesse arnett fight for nate maness jesse arnett a guy that i kind of know myself uh very good wrestler like when he is on very good wrestler very slick bjj can definitely tie dudes up in knots but for some reason he decided to go out there and just absolutely strike with nate maness for the entirety of that fight and then eventually gets knocked out in that fight so not a good look for him there but i felt as though if he went out there and implemented that wrestling uh we would have saw the flaws in nate maness's game and he probably wouldn't have won that tko title but luckily we got Tony Gravely this weekend, and we know that he's going to go out there and grapple. If he doesn't grapple, nope. 
throw my head through the wall. <laughs> Cut him if he doesn't <laughs> grapple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, very excited for this one. It's always a treat to see my guy Armand Sarukin get inside the cage. Come in. Obviously, I was a huge favorite. Minus 750, plus 525 is the return on Christos Yagos. Not too much to break down here, right? Yagos' strength is mainly wrestling. Again, throw my head through the fucking wall if he goes out there and wrestles Armand Sarukin uh, <laughs> this weekend. Uh, and then outside of that, I think Sarukin has him covered everywhere. I feel as though Yagos needs to come in with a super reckless game plan to try to catch Sarukin with something if he's going to have any success in this fight because we know his gas tank is not that great either. I feel as though Sarukin is leveling up on a fight-to-fight basis. Training over there, well, initially over there at Tiger Muay Thai, seems like Tiger Muay Thai is just completely falling apart now. The Hickman brothers have left that gym and a lot of their big fighters have left that gym. A lot of them, Actually going down to American top team, just like Piotr Jan and just like Ar- Armand Sarukian, uh, his striking continues to look better on a fight-to-fight basis, right? Like it, it looks smooth. It looks like he's getting some power behind it as well and getting a lot of comfortability behind it too. I feel as though he just owns Yagos everywhere here. And I know he doesn't have a finish inside the UFC to this point, but he hasn't gone up against a guy who has as bad of a cast like as Christos Yagos. And I feel like at this certain moment, this is the perfect intersection for Armand Sarukin's talent and him getting a finish against some guy that doesn't have a good gas tank. And I feel like this is the spot for Sarukin to go out there and get his first ever UFC finish. So uh, Sarukin inside the distance, again, I think it could come submission or KO. So let's just cover both of those by not being too greedy. Sarukin inside the distance at plus 170, I think is a great line. If you want to take the round props as well, Sarukin round two plus 550. Sarukin round three plus 975. I think he takes that first round to kind of feel it out. Yagos is going to start to slow down as that pace continues to build and then i think uh, we see sarukin eventually find that finish love that spot probably one of my favorite props on the card is sarukin inside the distance am i not giving yagos enough credit here or do you think he actually uh uh gets finished in this fight well first of all i mean it's such a bummer that this is the fight they're making for armand sarukin right i, I mean like i'll say this oh sorry i'll say this i know uh that they've just been trying i'm sure higher level guys they've been trying like i have it on good account that they have had a bunch of high level names all of them turn it down lose lose situation for those guys right you beat a guy named armand Strokin, the regular layman person has no idea who the fuck this kid is right so continue sorry it's just it's i like totally believe that it's just a shame like he debuts against islam makachev and actually gives him a fight you yes. know <laughs> at 22 years old then he yeah. beats Olivier Alban Mercier, who look, he's not great, but he's pretty good. You know, he's a top 25 lightweight, top 20 lightweight while he was in the UFC. Um, he beats the shit out of Davi Hamos. Like, it's <laughs> such a bummer the Nazrat fight got canceled, and now oh Nazrat's fighting next week. Like, yeah, what? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Apparently, Dan Hooker might be out, right? Really? There, there. He's having some issues with his visa or something. I think I thought I saw online. So oh, that would suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> <laughs> some good plus money in that fight anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes that, that is correct <laughs> um, but but yeah I, I mean i so like i i am a huge saryuki and dick rider i think he is fucking <laughs> awesome man like i i honestly i said after he lost to islam i think one day that fight's gonna happen down the road he's gonna beat islam to be honest you know or a belt, probably. yeah almost Either him or Gregor, right? It's going to be <laughs> Gregor, not McGregor. Yeah. Let me be clear. <laughs> <laughs> Better clear that up. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's going to happen at some point. Uh, it, it's funny because I looked at this line, and I've always been a lot more bullish on Christos Jagos than the market as a whole is. Like, I actually appreciate 
what he brings in there. He is a good athlete and like he's a good wrestler and early in fights, you know, he can be very explosive on the feet. Uh, the problem with Jagos is he obviously slows insanely fast. Like you, when you look at what the fights where he's won a decision have been fights where he's basically been able to just kind of grind out on top and kind of rest on top when he slows down. And that's just not really on the table here. I, there, I don't see any way that he outgrapples Armand, to be honest. That you would need the only way he could win this fight via grappling is if he was to like sting him on the feet and sub him. Uh, and even that seems remarkably unlikely to me. Uh, I do think like early in the fight, could Jagos give him, you make it like semi competitive? Maybe, you know, he might be able to make it like a 60 40 first round, but like I still have to favor Soryuki him fairly massively early in the fight. And it's like we know. Once that seven minute fight mark hits, Jagos is pretty much fucked. And the thing is, like, well, what if he fights more restrained? The thing is, Armand's so much better technically. Jagos needs to come out aggressive. And if he doesn't, he's going to get eaten alive here. Um, if he does come out aggressive, I think Armand finishes him late fairly often. I actually kind of think, in looking at props for this fight, I think, you know, targeting like Saruki in 2 3 is like, isn't bad. It's like plus 550 and plus 575. I'm not saying he can't win the fight, finish the fight early. He certainly can. But, you know, early Jagos is going to be, you know, he'll be fresh. And like I said, Jagos is a good athlete. And I actually think he's, you know, probably a little underrated. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I just struggle to see where, short of him like pulling off a miracle and maiming him, I don't really think he offers much resistance to Armand anywhere, to be honest. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if he actually survives the full 50 minutes with a beast like yeah. Armand, to be honest. So yeah, I think the inside the distance again, plus one, plus one sixty-five, plus one fifty-five. I think that's a great fucking line on Sorokin to get a get a finish in this spot. All right, uh, let's move on to the next fight. I think we only have three fights left here. Yeah, we got three fights left. Next up, we got Ariane Lipsky versus Manny Bob. Talk about a follow-up fight from uh, the complete dominance <laughs> that we're going to be seeing from Armand Sarukian. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 120-ish for Lipsky and plus 100 for Manny Bob. Now, I when I was doing the tape on Manny Bob, I saw on the tape next, we have her first two fights and then her last two fights. So there's about three or four fights in between that amount of time. And you see a clear progression from her from like that second fight to the second last fight, right? It was hilarious watching those first two fights because it was just solo level. You know, there's one moment where she's getting dropped with a with a jab or something, and then the next second she's on in full mount somehow, some way. Like I, I just didn't understand it. It was that low level. Uh, it does seem like her striking did get better over that amount of time. She did some uh, decent work in terms of improving her distance distance management, having some good work in the clinch at times. Uh, she does lean on takedowns every now and then if she needs to, but it feels like she wants to go out there and actually strike with her opponents. Ariadne Lipsky, on the other hand. I just can't confidently go out there and back her against anybody that has shown in the past that they go for takedowns and Lipsky with her, you know, disappearing uh, takedown defense on a fight to fight basis is not a good look. I believe this is her second camp that she's actually going to have over there at American top team. So let's see if they've actually instilled anything in her or given her anything, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do think that uh, Lipsky is the much better striker here. By by all accounts, she should go out there and torch yeah. Manny Baum on the feet. It's just, can she keep it on the feet? If Manny Baum is smart, and if she is taking heed from her main corner man, who is, I believe, going to be Daniel Veitchel, Bellator veteran, black belt in jiu-jitsu, She's going to want to drag this to the ground and try to try to get her out of there. I think a sneaky play in this is actually the under two and a half because I think both women are just slightly reckless enough for a finish to occur in this, whether it's a submission or a TKO on either side. The under two and a half currently sits at plus 180. 
I could see it happening. Uh, I, I do reluctantly, reluctantly end up on the Lipsky side, given her level of competition, who she's been fighting, where she's training, all that type of stuff. Uh, but it's just that takedown defense that is keeping me from actually pulling the trigger here on Lipsky. I do think she eventually finds that TKO in the second round here by overwhelm overwhelming Mandy Baum on the feet uh, and getting her out of there. Lipsky by a TKO is plus 500. I think that's worth a little bit of a sprinkle here. But even that under two and a half to cover a potential finish by Baum, uh, plus 185 is not too bad of a line either. So, again, reluctantly, on the Lipsky side of things, Lipsky KO plus 500, under two and a half. How are you seeing this one? First of all, call the police for who on whoever booked this fight. Um, <laughs> this is, like, how did this end up where this is on the card? I, yeah, I don't understand. I don't really understand how Mandy Baum is in the UFC, if I'm being completely honest. Like, I, I don't – like, maybe you see something that I'm not, but, like, I don't really see it. Like, in the, the, her regional footage, like, that did not strike me as someone who is ready to have fights with UFC fighters. And I guess you could make the argument that Ariane Lipsky is not that. But I, I do think – I think you nailed the breakdown, to be honest, really. I, I do think – I haven't bet the fight. And it's another fight that I've kind of been like torturing myself in my head where it's like, it is really a good step down for Lipsky here. Like it should be a good matchup for her. I agree on the feet. I don't think this is a competitive fight at all. I think she absolutely tortures bomb standing. Uh, it's just like Lipsky's not a bad striker, to be honest. You know, she has, she's had her issues in the UFC, but most of them have come from, you know, being taken down and dominated on the mat, you know, even standing with Jojo, like, I'd say JoJo was winning the stand-up, but it was competitive. And, like, JoJo's a top eight girl in that division, right? So, like, I think Lipsky's a pretty – I don't want to say, like, she's not a high-level striker, but she's a solid striker for the UFC. She's a UFC-level striker. Whereas I don't think Baum is anywhere near that. Like, I think she pretty much toys with her standing. The problem is, for me, it's kind of like what you touched on, which is, you know, Baum, when she's not having success, will try to wrestle. And we have seen Lipsky taken down – basically have no ability to retain her guard at all and basically get passed through and finished on the mat numerous times now. Now, I don't think Baum's a high-level wrestler. I don't think she's a high-level grappler. I don't think she has this particularly high-level top game. But if I'm backing Lipsky, it's like I have to be pretty sure she isn't going to end up stuck on her back. It's kind of similar to why I passed on Jiyoung Kim a couple weeks ago, which ironically, I ended up being wrong about that fight altogether. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah. you know, I, I, I like, I, I do think that's an interesting core, like, you know, comparable fight in the sense that a bomb win likely looks like her hitting a couple takedowns and holding Lipsky down. The thing is I'm much more confident in Lipsky's ability to dominate on the feet than I am in Baum's ability to dominate on the mat, if you know what I'm saying. Like, yes. there is a chance that Lipsky can just outscramble her or sub her off her back, you know? I don't think Baum's a great grappler. So I, I'm still toying with the idea of playing with her. I haven't. In terms of props, like, I kind of agree with you, to be honest. <clears throat> Baum is there to get fucking cracked standing, uh, you know, and, and she's going to get hit a lot on the feet here. And on the mat, I think the finish could happen both ways, to be honest. Like I said, I don't really rate Baum as a grappler. And so Lipsky will throw up subs and her catching her here wouldn't shock me. But also at the same time, like I said, Lipsky gives up position so easily. Would anybody really be shocked if she ends up like in back mount getting pounded on here? That wouldn't shock me either. So like, it's a fight where it's going to be a lot of action. And even on the mat, there should be a lot of action. So I kind of agree. I think it's pretty wide on the doesn't go. Um, I like doesn't go. I like the under. I even like Lipsky KO, to be honest. Or Lipsky. 
Maybe Lipsky ITD because she could sub her. But yeah, I mean, I lean Lipsky here. It would be impossible for me to back bomb in this spot, whereas I can see a reason to be on, be on Lipsky. Just to give a slight more, uh, or at least instill a little bit more confidence on the Lipsky side of things, we can at least say that Shevchenko and De La Rosa are <laughs> far greater threats in terms of the grappling realm than what Bomb brings to the table. So even if Bomb does land a takedown here, we're not 100% sure she's actually going to be the one staying on top and maintaining that top control. Well, and that's a great point too, right? Because like she outgrappled Isabella de Padua like pretty, pretty uh, easily, and I'm not sure Mandy Bomb is a better grappler than Isabella de Padua, who's known for being a grappler, right? So, yeah. Well, for some reason, it's the third last fight that we're going to be watching this Saturday, John, <laughs> and I still can't understand stand that. Anyway, let's uh, let's get into something that should hopefully be a little bit more fun. We got Iwan Kutelaba going up against Devin Clark, minus 150 for Kutelaba, plus 130 for Devin Clark. Very difficult fight for me to break down here. Obviously, Kutelaba has a little bit of a Greco-Roman wrestling background that we definitely saw in full gear when he went out there and took out Cleo Roundtree, but outside of that, it's pretty much been like somber times for Iwan Kutelaba. Obviously, he goes out there, gets knocked out twice by, uh, or knocked out twice by uh, Ankalaev. Uh, and then I believe his last fight, uh, why can't I recall it right off the top of my head? God damn it. Who did he, who did he beat last year? Or who did he lose last oh, year? Oh, Kutalaba? He lost uh, to Ankalaev. Oh, yeah. oh sorry, it was a draw. He had a draw against uh, oh, Jacobi. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He went out there. I believe he got a 10-8 in that first round, at least one yeah. judge's scorecard, and then it made it, a, made it a draw. But yeah, that was a fight where he had tremendous success in that first round against Jacoby using his wrestling, using those devastating elbows, but then after that, didn't have much success after that. Uh, Jacoby, obviously a very good striker, so he was able to maintain that distance and really let his work show. Whereas Devin Clark, I feel like a lot of his success is going to have to be getting inside on Kutalaba, whether grinding him up against the cage like he did against Alonzo Benefield, getting off his volume, or eventually dragging him to the ground. Um, but I still end up on the side that Kuzalaba will be good defensively here, at least for the first seven and a half minutes. And within that amount of time, find that knockout against Devin Clark. You know, Devin Clark it seems a little bit lost on the feet at times. And I feel like a guy with the explosiveness and the speed of a Kuzalaba, he should be able to find that chin of Devin Clark eventually here. Not to mention, talk about that new that new look for my guy, Iwan Kuzalaba. <laughs> Looks like an absolute murderer out of the Matrix or something like that. But I'm hoping that this is <laughs> a sign of things to come, that this guy could actually go out there and be a little bit of a character. But in terms of stylistically speaking for, for the fight itself, both guys wrestling backgrounds, I give Clark the advantage in terms of being able to go out there and have a better minute winning scenario for 15 minutes compared to Kutilaba, whose uh, win condition will probably come within six or seven minutes of this fight going down. If Clark is able to survive those first six to seven minutes, I think he wins this fight. Um, so in terms of props, obviously Kutilaba KO is what I'm leaning on most here, uh, plus 105 on that. And then Clark, by decision, I believe is his best path to victory there, is plus 250. Either or, I don't think you can go wrong here. I'm going to go with the Kutilaba side by KO. How do you see this one going down, brother? Oh, yeah, I mean, these are two guys who I've both... Well, I like both of them, to be honest. You know, Kutilaba, you know, if it wasn't... If I just showed you Kutilaba in round one across all his fights, you'd be like, man, that guy's fucking good. Like, he's Beast. pretty technical. You know, he's a good defensive grappler. He's a strong offensive grappler. You know, this guy must be really good. It's just the problem is, at this point, we don't really see... I mean, when has Kutalaba ever carried cardio deep into round two, right? It, it, it's just such a reliable thing at this point. And I don't know if that's... Like, he did seem like against uh, Ankalaev in his last fight, 
not his last fight, two fights ago, that he came out with a bit more of a patient game plan and wasn't going as crazy in that fight. And, you know, I was like going into the Jacoby fight. I was like, well, maybe he'll do that here and maybe his cardio dump won't be as bad. But no, he came out, went full high energy again. It just seems to be how he fights, right? Um, um, and so I think Kutalab is very skilled, but he is not – the reality is he has terrible cardio. Uh, on the other side, you have Devin Clark, who, again, I also think is – pretty underrated because Clark's a very good wrestler and he's also he's not a horrible striker man the problem with Clark and this is always my problem with him is like he does not handle adversity well at all like when he gets cracked hard he tends to wilt pretty quickly I don't know if it's a chinny thing or a just you know he kind of freaks out when things start to go wrong but it happens pretty repeatedly to him um in his losses in terms of the fight like I do think early in this fight, I don't think Clark should have a whole lot for Kudalaba, to be honest, in the first round of this fight, just because I don't really think Clark can have extended wrestling success early because Kudalaba is an excellent defensive grappler. And on the feet, you know, Kudalaba is going to go forward and try to hurt him. And I do think, you know, the chances of Kudalaba finishing this in the first round are quite high, to be honest. Uh, now, when I say quite high, I'm not saying like 50%. I think you're talking like 25, 30% range. But I do think Clark is the kind of guy who is going to fight at a pace that's going to be uncomfortable. Like he's probably – I don't can't imagine he's going to try and strike with Kudalaba much. He's going to probably try and wrestle him here. And so if he doesn't get finished early, I do sort of think Kudalaba fading is very, very in play and Clark taking over. It's like I kind of I, – again, it's another one where I don't know if I want to bet it because it's like do I really want to be there butthole clenched for all of round one waiting for Kudalaba to gas out, right, with a bet on Devin Clark? I'm not really sure. Uh, I, I do lean him on the money line just because I think he has more ways to win the fight than Kudalaba does here. Uh, in terms of a prop, you know, the tempting thing is to just say bet Kudalaba round one. The problem is a plus like 250 or 300, whatever it is, you're not plus really getting – Yeah, you're not really getting a great number for a prop you need to hit in five minutes, right? Yeah. And so I don't really love that. I, I kind of like Clark inside the distance, to be honest, because the guy wins almost all the time by decision, but – we have seen Kutalaba multiple times now when he's been gassed out and wrestled, just kind of give up on the map. And that is something, you know, that I think if Clark fights the way he needs to win this fight, he has a decent chance to take a dominant position late in the fight against Kutalaba while he's out of gas. Um, so I think it's interesting, plus 450. I, I think it probably happens at a higher clip than that. I, I don't really love any props, though. Like, nothing really pops off the page to me. I, I do lean Clark, but it, again, it's like... You're going to be fucking sweating, man, if, you, if, you, if you're betting Devin Clark here. So, Just saying, regarding Devin Clark's finishing capabilities, his last finish <laughs> came uh, April 2016 via hand injury. So he scared a guy so bad <laughs> that he broke his hand. So, uh, I know. It's an, out there, it's an out there take. I know where I, you're I, coming I, from. Just, but just it's like, a smart ass over here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to give a prop out here, and I'm looking yeah. at it. And I'm like, oh, would I put money on any of these? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I feel like this fight's just a pass all in all, right? Like yeah. the line is a little bit too crazy, in my opinion. I believe the value could potentially be on Clark here, as he does has the better, like we said, better minute winning compared to Kutalabu, who's a little bit more confined to that yeah. six to seven minute mark, right? 
All right, uh, that was the co-main event. That brings us to our main event and another opportunity for me to remind you guys, make sure you hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then hit my guy John over there with the a follow on Twitter at MMAFox, as you see on the screen, and then give him some support on his Club and Sub channel where he does a show every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. with him and his crew over there. So make sure you guys go check that out. All right, main event time. Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spann. Very weird main event, but here we are, minus 170-ish for Anthony Smith, plus 150 is a return on Ryan Spann. Uh, very difficult and weird fight to break down, right? Both of these guys kind of low output at times. Ryan Spann obviously has way more knockout power, but I don't believe he has a cardio to go out there and fight a solid five rounds against a heavily experienced guy like Anthony Smith. I think that Anthony Smith is durable enough to stay out, stay out of the array of the big shots that are going to be coming from Ryan Spann. And I think at a certain point, Anthony Smith should start to take over. We saw it in that third round against Sam Alvey for Ryan Spann in terms of how much his, his work rate diminishes and how fighters are able to find that uh, you know opening, especially Sam Alvey. I mean, rocking and hurting him twice uh close to even getting a draw in that fight if he was able to put on the pressure a little bit more in my opinion uh but i feel like you're gonna have a much better fighter than anthony smith here but it wasn't that long ago that we we're like anthony smith's done right like uh when when he had that two fight losing streak against glover and rackets we're like oh the guy has no confidence anymore you know he's just giving up uh takedowns and not really doing much off of his back but then he had those two wins against devin clark the aforementioned devin clark and then the uh the weird finish over jimmy jimmy crude due to that weird leg injury and now he's right back in it but I, I listened to an interview you did recently i think it was the one that he did on the mma hour and he's like so honest with himself that you kind of appreciate him even more he goes yeah like of course guys like alexander rakic are going to beat me and glover to share although people are saying you know he's 40 years old how could you lose to a guy like that it's still glover motherfucking to share he can go out there and snap your neck in half if he needs to but he said i should be beating guys like devin clark i should be beating guys like jimmy crude and i should be beating guys like ryan span and i absolutely agree with him i kind of I, I categorize Ryan Span in that in that uh, range. So I think Ryan Span is heavily tied to an early win condition here, right? Round one or round two knockout. But I think that uh, Smith is good enough defensively that he should be able to get, get away from those big strikes. And then I think he should start to take over. So uh, first and foremost, fight doesn't go to decision. Minus 270, or sorry, minus 290. Obviously, heavy chalk there, but I feel like that's a good spot uh, if you want to toss into a couple parlays or something. But I think that Smith eventually, uh, you know, starts dragging him to the ground, starts overwhelming him with a little bit more maybe not crazy pace, but at least having the better cardio, being the fresher fighter and seeing that he can take advantage of a, you know, of a, of an exhausted fighter. So Smith inside the distance currently sitting at plus 125, but I think we can get a little bit crazy with some of these uh, round props as well. Smith round three plus 950 Smith round four plus 1550 and Smith round five plus 2350. I'd be surprised if it even gets to round five, to be honest, uh, uh, fight won't start round five is minus 255 so uh that's another spot that potentially people could look at but yeah i like smith here i think he's the better overall fighter a good durability should be able to stay away from those knockout blows from ryan span then start to take over later and get that late finish how do you see this one going down yeah you know it's kind of funny with anthony smith right because for a while i feel like there was just like this silent unspoken about war going on between mma twitter and mma betting twitter where everybody in mma twitter was like oh my god anthony smith's a top five fighter in light heavyweight and everybody in MMA betting twitter was like anthony smith fucking sucks i'm trying yes. to fade him all the time <laughs> <laughs> right I mean, yeah <laughs> uh but eventually you know i've kind of come around on smith in a way like i don't think smith was ever really a top five guy i, I thought he was extremely overrated but at some point, though, you have to look at the results, though. Like, the guy's a pretty good striker. You know, he was lighting Crute up before the injury, you know, on the yeah, feet. I was I, – honestly, I didn't remember it going that way pre-tape. And then when I taped the fight, I'm like, oh, shit, he had way more success than I actually yeah. remembered him having. 
Yeah, and I mean, he he was, you know, Gustafson landed more against him, but like he was outstriking him with his hands. He was winning the boxing exchanges against Gustafson pretty easily. Same thing with Glover, really, before like he kind of gassed out in that fight um, and fractured his orbital. And so it's like Smith's, he's a pretty good striker if he can have his way. You know, my big concern with Anthony Smith is that, you know, he's just very easy to take down and he ends up in all these weird positions on the mat against good grapplers and that weird like turtled up position and everybody seems to get on his back there. The thing is, like, the guys who have really fucked him up on the mat are like Glover Teixeira, John Jones. Like yeah, Ryan Span is not that man. Uh, no. I, I do think Span could take him down and have maybe have moments of success on top. Uh, the problem is I don't think Span's a very good submission grappler, even though he has a bunch of submissions on his record. I, I think he's pretty reckless in top position. Like we just saw it in his last fight. You know, Smith sub Devin Clark from bottom, and so I don't really think Span is safe anywhere this fight goes if that makes sense whereas i think smith is fairly safe on the ground even if he does get stuck on his back and drop a round or two that way and on the feet like sure span could ko him but i think smith's striking is far more reliable like we've seen the guy have standing success against much better fighters than anybody ryan span has fought right so and then you just think about even the cardio dynamic like i'm not saying smith has elite cardio but it's solid whereas ryan span the guy went life and death with Sam Alvey. Someone just mentioned in the chat, but it's like he looked like he needed to rest, be on, put on a respirator at the end of that fight. Yeah. And that wasn't even fought at a particularly high pace. And so when I look at this fight, I'm like, Span either has to knock him out early or grind him out. I don't think Span has the cardio to grind him out. Um, I, I just don't. In terms of knocking him out early, yes, it could happen. Span hits hard. But again, I think Smith's a much better striker than Span is. And so – as much as it pains me to say it, because I've always been fairly Anthony Smith, I think this is a very, very good fight for Anthony Smith, to be completely honest. Um, like I said, I don't think Span's safe anywhere. I think Smith has the striking pretty easily. I think he's got a big cardio edge here. Uh, I like him on the money line a bit, but even more where I really like him is, you know, even money to finish. Span making round, making the final bell would surprise me, to be completely honest. Uh, like, you look at... And Span finishing Smith, to be honest, would surprise me a bit. You know, you look at the guys who have finished Smith in recent years since he fought a light heavyweight. It's Glover and has anybody else? You know, Jones well, finished him at light heavyweight, but his last middleweight fight, he did get finished by Tiago Santos with the body kick and punches. Tiago Santos, also yeah. at light heavyweight. <laughs> uh, that was uh, middleweight, actually. Yeah, but I'm saying now he's at light heavyweight. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. correct. You're right. Right. Yeah, 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 sorry. But I, I just don't think Smith gets finished at a very high clip here. And I don't think Span has what it takes to win this fight down the stretch. Um, we've seen it a lot. You know, Smith's come from behind victories. And he may fall behind early here. I actually don't think a live bet on Anthony Smith is really crazy in this spot. Because there is a chance, you know, Span could panic wrestle and just hold him down. He did it with Johnny Walker and got finished in that position. But he may panic wrestle and just hold Smith down for two rounds. But like I said, I don't think he can keep the pace up. So I think Smith inside the distance and even money is pretty good. I think Smith on the money line is pretty good, though I do think there's a chance for a better live opportunity here. But, yeah, I mean, Team Anthony Smith this week, I guess. Go Lionheart. Uh, it's a weird place to be, but, <laughs> but here we are. You know what? I was one of those guys as well that wasn't really high on Anthony Smith, but I did end up paying for it when I did back Vulcan Uzmir against him. I thought that fight, I'm like, okay, that's the fight where he kind of like <laughs> – won me over right that's where i'm like okay i can't believe he actually survived that and then finished him after that as well uh, and that was the fight that ultimately earned him the title shot right i pretty much faded him on his entire ride up shogun are you Evans. kidding me really 
Like it was, it was. He was a bonfire of cash for me. Gustafson, I parlayed up against him. Oh my know? god! Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I I believe I faded him with Glover Teixeira. That that's the one. Yeah, I, I did too. Cashing, I think. Uh, but I think it was right place, right time for Anthony Smith. Right yeah. after he uh, moved up from middleweight, after that, Tiago Santos lost, gets the ghost of Rashad Evans, finishes him in fifty-three seconds, gets the ghost of Mauricio Shogun Huam after that, finishes him in a minute and a half. Volkan Uzmir good win solid respectable win finishes him in the third round and then gets a title shot so like perfect time and place yeah that, right no same with Thiago sure. Santos too he had kind of the same thing where he had a tumultuous run in middleweight goes up gets perfect matchups and gets a fucking title shot and, and that happens from time to time Johnny Walker almost managed to get a perfect run and get a title shot I don't think right? he's ever gonna sniff it right it, 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 it's exactly. wild yeah, light, light heavyweight is a, is a circus in its own right. Um, all right, let's get to the three best bets here, and then we'll sign off. But first and foremost, like I always do, I do want to announce the uh, the cast that I have for the Ultimate Wayne Show tomorrow night. And I'm going solo with uh, my guy, Santino DeFranco, former one well, form, former UFC fighter, or actually tough competitor, tough season nine way back in the day. Uh, ended up retiring from fighting. Now is one of the head coaches over there at Fight Ready. Uh, if you guys remember watching the Eddie Chaw episode I did a couple weeks ago, he goes, you got to get Santino on. You got to get him on. He likes talking fights. He likes talking uh, bets and predictions and stuff. So I was able to get that contact. He's going to be coming on. And to my surprise, I actually kind of stalked him a little bit. He has his own YouTube channel where he does bets every now and then and drops some prediction videos of his own. So make sure you guys go give him a follow as well. I believe it's uh, Santino DeFranco. Pretty much just type that into YouTube and you should be able to find his page. So make sure you guys go check that out. And then obviously he dropped some pretty cool behind the scenes training footage as well. Uh, I believe he just recently dropped one with Wiley Zhang finally coming into town, uh, getting ready for her fight with uh, Rose Namajunas. Last thing I'll say about Santino before we move on to the best bets, he is cornering Haile Alateng this weekend. So I'm interested to hear what his thoughts are uh, for that fight, uh, as well as his thoughts on Gustavo Lopez. Obviously, he's going to be picking Haile to win that fight, but I'm still interested to hear how he thinks he's going to get it done there. All right. Let's get to the best prop bets for this weekend. And I've finally gotten to the point where I'm like, it's me, it's John, and Cody whenever I'm able to get his picks. And I have all three picks this time around from all these guys. But I wanted to always give you guys picks that they're not picking, right? Just so we can have some more diversity. Today, though, fuck you guys. Some of our <laughs> bets are going to be the same because there aren't that many props that I really like on this. But the ones that I do like, I really like. And come... Uh, both John and Cody uh, said uh, or, or picked a couple of these props as well. So fuck you guys. That's all I'm going to say. All right. First and foremost, Jackson and Bays. Uh, fight is going to decision minus 200. I really like that spot. I think we are going to see a finish in there. I think it's more so going to come from the Jackson side. So sure, you can go out there and bet Jackson inside the distance if you want at minus 140. But I would rather eat that little extra bit of chalk just in case Bays goes out there and pulls off a submission or a Hail Mary knockout of his own. But minus 200, I think that's a great line here. Secondly, I actually like Gravely and Maness under two and a half plus 155. Like I said, I think both guys have finishing capabilities here. Maness, club and sub situations, or even just club and knock you the fuck out. And then Gravely, obviously, on the ground. Uh, I think he's going to be able to pass that guard of Maness, get to dominant positions, just like Munoz was able to. And I think he should be able to find that finish quickly thereafter. Again, like I said, I think Maness got saved by the bell at the end of that first round against Munoz. And then Munoz struggled to get him back into that position in the second round. Luckily, Gra Gravely has much more reliable takedowns, and he should be able to get back right, right back there if he goes into the second round and then find that finish. Uh, plus 155, like I said, I like the like that it covers both angles here. And then lastly, I like Armand Sarukian inside the distance. Plus 170, I think he goes out, out there and absolutely demolishes uh, Christos Yagos. Maybe takes a round or so. 
to uh, start to build that pace and start to break Yagos. But I do think that finish will come shortly thereafter. So yeah, uh, Sarukian inside the distance plus 170. John, you're up, my brother. Take it away. Let's go. First up, we got Rodriguez. Mike Rodriguez via decision against Stefan and Chukwe. Uh, it's plus 230. Yeah, I think it's a great buy-down spot on Rodriguez here. Personally, I just don't think Stefan is really ready for this spot. I think Rodriguez is the better striker. I think he's going to be better in the clinch. And I think, you know, he shouldn't have too many issues getting up if Stefan does go the grappling game plan here. Uh, the thing is, the reason I like decision you know, it's a light heavyweight fight, so the natural inclination is to think finish. But Tefan's shown to be very, very durable. Rod doesn't box a whole lot. And so I don't necessarily think he's going to be landing a ton of head strikes. So, yeah, I mean, I favor him to win minutes pretty easily here. And I don't think it's very likely he finishes Tefan. So I think the vision decision is a very good spot. Yeah, second up, we got Jackson Bays. Fight doesn't go to decision. <laughs> Minus 200. Uh, I mean, look, it sounds obvious, but sometimes these spots are obvious, right? You know, I, I just – J.P. Bays has shown me nothing to make me think he can go a hard 15 with somebody on Montel Jackson's level. I have some issues with Jackson's game, but if Bays doesn't take him out early in this fight, I kind of think it's kind of inevitable before Bays gets finished. In, on the other side of things, for Bays to win the fight, I likely think – it's very much focused on him getting a takedown and finishing the fight in top position. Very hard for me to see him having the cardio to go 15 here. I think this finishes at a super high clip. And yeah, last up, I am on the other side here with Gravely. I got Gravely by decision, plus 150. I do think Mattis is okay enough on his back to survive, and I think Gravely most likely if he's intelligent, is going to try to lock down position and hold him down here. In terms of the fight itself, I don't really think Manis has a ton for Gravely. I think he's a much better grappler than anything Manis has seen, and it's going to get taken down pretty much at will. I placed Gravely at about 70% myself, and I think decision's about 50%. All right, there we go. So we are kind of in conflict with one of those, but uh, I think it would be pleasantly surprised to see what Cody has as well. So let's go over Cody's three prop bets quickly. First, uh, Gravely by decision plus 160 or plus 150 is his first uh, is his first one that he likes up there. Uh, secondly, he likes uh, Sarukin inside the distance. <laughs> so we agree there at plus 170. And then lastly, he likes uh, Mandy Baum by decision at plus 175. That one kind of surprised me when I saw it. But again, because he's not on the show, he's not able to... Uh, to express his reasoning as to why but if you guys do obviously want to hear his reason go check out his uh podcast with uh, paul shaughnessy i believe it's dog or pat pause dog or pass podcast more than likely if you guys are watching my show you guys have already seen that as well uh but cody will be back on the show next week we do have a pay-per-view next week i my ass will be out in vegas once again very Sick. much looking forward to that i'm going to be going out to 266 uh so i'll be doing the the thursday and friday show from vegas i promise i'll have better audio quality this time around compared to last time i know a lot of people are shitting on me for that but uh now that i know what i'm dealing with when i go out there i'll definitely be more prepared for that so um yeah john you got anything to say on the back end here what's going on brother yeah not a whole lot i'm really pumped this weekend i'm super pumped for next weekend guys if you want to follow, watch my show that it should our youtube channel is in the description below it's the club and sub podcast we're live every wednesday at 10 p.m eastern it's three to four of us every week it's a good time check it out there you go. That's all the plug you need because trust me, you guys are really going to enjoy the Club and Sub podcast. I used to listen to it like usually when it drops, but now that I have John on the show, I kind of want to be surprised with some of his takes. So I don't listen to it until after we do the show. Uh, but uh, yeah, th those are definitely guys I like to lean on with some good wisdom as well. So make sure you guys go check out the Club and Sub podcast. All right, that's the wrap on the show. We managed to get 14 fights done in under two hours. So I'm happy to do that. That's always a good thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, John will be back on the show for the October 2nd. Nope. Not October. Yes, October 2nd card. Great uh, will betting be, card. 
<laughs> Sorry? Great betting card. There we go. So you guys should get some <laughs> nice hot takes from my guy, John, for uh, I believe he'll be returning on the October 30th edition, or sorry, September 30th uh, edition of this show. Uh, but yeah, that, that's a wrap. Pre- hope you guys enjoy the show. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then obviously go subscribe to the Club and Sub podcast as well. Good luck on your best this weekend. War Rodriguez by decision for John for some reason. <laughs> but for real, Montel Jackson, go out there and get that fight. Doesn't go to decision real quick for us. All right, see you guys next week. Take it easy. Peace.